This is Wordfall, with historical novelist Rosanna M. White, offering our words to the Lord at the crossroads of faith, family, and fiction. The day that changed everything and nothing. This is episode 99 of my podcast, and I was contemplating what I wanted to do for episode 100, so you'll just have to stay tuned to see what I came up with. But as I was just kind of thinking back through the last 99 episodes and these months of recording things, I realized it's been a really, really tumultuous few months for the world, but also for my family. So I wanted to pause and read one of the blog posts that I did write during this time period. Uh, I actually wrote it in November, which is Diabetes Awareness Month, and I wanted to share the post that I wrote um, because it's a reflection on that huge change that struck my family while I was building this podcast. So you may have already read it on the blog, and if so, I hope you'll just um, stick around and listen. And if you hadn't read it on the blog yet, I hope that it just uh, shares a bit of basically the heart of my family in this time. If we lived a hundred years ago, my son would be dead. That is something that has haunted me the last few months. I can't tell you how many times as I write historical fiction, I wish I'd lived in a different time or could at least experience it. But I can't wish that anymore if I really ever did. I am so, so grateful that we are in this time, this era. Because as little as a hundred years ago, the day that ended with Rowan taking a helicopter ride to Pittsburgh in an overnight stay for us all in PICU, would have ended with him in a coma that led straight to death. Maybe not that very day, but it would have come soon. So I recorded this, wrote this post originally in November, which is, as I mentioned, Diabetes Awareness Month. A fact I wasn't even aware of before the disease made itself known in my family. I'm not going to share our story as a bid to raise money for any causes or to stir your sympathy. I'm going to tell you a bit of our story, because while you may not have this, you have something, something you are dealing with or have dealt with or, frankly, will deal with. We all have something. We can all relate to that bone-jarring fear, that desperate plea to God, that realization that everything has changed It's taken me more than a month to really process it all and stop having nightmares every time I close my eyes. Part of the healing process for me was to write it all down. So I wanted to share a bit, just in case some of my thoughts can help someone else. For me, the journey really started on Thursday, September 24th. Rowan wasn't feeling great. He'd been tired all week, but that wasn't unusual for that time of year. He has seasonal allergies and the ragweed had been out in full force, So he always had a week like this in the fall. I honestly didn't think anything of it until I went to book club that night. The kids had gone camping with my parents the weekend before, and mom said, Rowan was drinking a lot and going to the bathroom a lot. You know that's a symptom of diabetes, right? No, actually, I didn't. I knew zero about diabetes. It had never come up. My mom, though, had worked in the medical field for years, so it wasn't a surprise that she knew a little bit more about it. I wasn't convinced she was right, of course. I mean, surely drinking and eating a lot were also symptoms of being a 12-year-old boy, right? But I did look it up. I read the symptoms, and I saw that he had all of them. But they could have just been symptoms of the flu or a sinus infection. So I said, all right, we're going to give it a day. Well, that evening he threw up, and he did a few more times on Friday. 
Our family protocol is to give any vomiting illness 24 hours because with the kids, they're usually fine after that. So if he started to improve, I knew we'd have nothing to worry about. And if he didn't, I would talk to a doctor. Well, he didn't improve. By Friday evening, he was so listless that I was starting to get really worried. He hadn't eaten all day, but he was drinking plenty. He asked for some jello, so I made him some and gave him some Gatorade, and then I slept beside him on our sectional couch that night, praying he would get better through the night. But his breathing was getting heavy and ragged, and he was so weak. When he got up to vomit or use the bathroom in the middle of the night, he could barely walk. At one point, I trailed him to the bathroom because he was just so unsteady, and I stood outside the door. After I heard the flush, I kept waiting for him to come back out. But instead, there was just thumping. So, a little scared, I called out, Rowan. I heard his hands at the knob, so I turned it. And he was just sitting on the floor, too tired to stand up. He looked up at me with this expression that still haunts me. His eyes were wide in a sunken face. He was so pale. And he looked so thin, like skeletal. And he was just gazing at me with this utter horror. Like, why can't I get up, Mama? I reached down and I helped him to his feet. He's 12 years old, so nearly my height. But he's always been really skinny. I had to help him back to the couch. And he felt so light. Mama was terrified. We go to church on Saturdays, but that morning, the moment my husband woke up, I said, we're going to the doctor. I called the pediatrician the very minute they opened, and I got an appointment for just a couple hours later. At one point, when he came out of the bathroom, he actually asked me to carry him to the couch. And that was when we considered going straight to the ER, but in our hospital, probably in everyone's hospital, sometimes the ER takes forever. And by the time we would have gotten there, it would have been time for his appointment anyway. So we just went to the doctor's office. My husband still went to church. He runs all the equipment. And my daughter stayed home. In the back of my mind, I was wondering if it was COVID. But the doctor's office didn't seem to think so. They still saw us, and it only took them a few minutes to confirm my mother's suspicions. He was in what's called diabetic ketoacidosis, or DKA, with a blood sugar of 600. Normal is 100, I had to ask. I didn't know it at the time. And it was serious. From the doctor's office, we drove straight to the emergency room, where they were very quick to get him on an IV and insulin. I didn't even know what DKA was. In short, it's this. His pancreas had stopped working and stopped producing the insulin needed to break down carbohydrates and turn them into fuel. With the absence of insulin to do this job, the body begins to break down fats for energy instead of carbs, which releases an acid called ketones. So these toxins, these acids, were filling his body. And in an effort to get rid of them, his system was pushing them into his urine and trying to expel the toxins through his breathing as well, hence the heavy respiration. Our area has no pediatric unit, so we were told from the start that the ER was just a stopping point, that we were going to be transferred to Pittsburgh Children's, and they would request a helicopter to take him there. Did I mention that I was terrified? This would be the point when Papa was pretty terrified too, as I texted him. It was also the point where I said something along the lines of, get here now. For me, it was because I didn't want to make these decisions alone. For him, he heard, get here now or you might not see your son again. 
I didn't realize at the time how he read this short message I sent him, but when he admitted it a week later, I was at once sorry I had panicked him and not at all sorry that it resulted in him rushing to the emergency room. Because while Rowan was not on the brink of death that moment, thanks to medical science, it was serious. It was critical. Without those IVs, without that insulin, he would have been on the brink of death very soon. He would have eventually slipped into a coma, and from that coma, he would have died. Meanwhile, our daughter Zoe was at home, waiting for news. The house phone wasn't working right, apparently. I had tried to call her, and she couldn't get it to answer, so I called my mother-in-law, who lives just up the driveway. It took her a while to actually come and tell Zoe, who is 15, what was going on. Zoe had been watching the church service online, and after missing my call, she went back to the computer just in time to see my dad, who's our pastor, halt the sermon to pray for Rowan. Well, cue sister's terror. Thankfully, my mother-in-law did soon arrive to give her a full update. Zoe ended up staying the next few days with my parents, joining us via computer for education, and even coming up to Pittsburgh once with my parents and sister and niece, even though, thanks to pandemic restrictions, they weren't allowed beyond the hospital lobby. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I just wanted to inject a bit here about my amazing daughter and our amazing family who was just so there. They rallied around us and took care of everything while our world just stopped. After we were all settled at home again, we sat on the couch one evening and Zoe told me how scared she'd been. She has since learned how to do all the things the rest of us have so she can help out and I am just so proud of her. But back to the story and a bit about what this disease is. Diabetes as a disease has been known about for thousands of years. Its symptoms are recognized, uh, had been recognized well before anyone actually understood the underlying cause. Because both urine and breath take on a sweet smell, physicians could mark it pretty easily. Diabetes, in fact, means passing through. It was a disease in which one literally urinated oneself to death. A disease that could hit at any time. And when it hit in children, they could linger in these diabetic comas for quite a while. But it was ultimately a death sentence all the way up until the 1920s, when some very brilliant scientists realized the role of insulin and first administered some to a young man in DKA and brought him back to the land of the living. The team won a Nobel Prize for their discovery, and I think it was very well deserved. I've been praising God daily for the work of those scientists and the ones still working now to cure this disease for good. David and I weren't allowed to go in the helicopter with Rowan when they transferred him, though my parents and Zoe could watch it fly overhead and wave to him. So we drove to Pittsburgh and made our way to the PICU, which would be our home for the next 30 hours. We were in the hospital from Saturday until Wednesday. Rowan doesn't even remember that first day. The doctor visit, the ER, the helicopter ride, it's all a blank for him, and I am so glad. I'm glad he doesn't have the images I do. I'm glad he doesn't remember us huddled on that little futon, crying, sobbing silently to God, seeing every single time I closed my eyes that look on Rowan's face when he was scooting across the bathroom floor. When we got to the hospital, he greeted us with, I want to go home. Of course, the day is a blank in his memory, but at the time he didn't know he was in the hospital, and he knew as the next few days progressed that his life was never going to be the same. But he was alive. Thank you, God, he was alive. Over the next couple days, we learned so much. We learned what this disease is and how type 1 and type 2 diabetes are different. 
If you don't know, here's a very quick explanation. So the pancreas produces insulin, which is required for turning carbs and sugars into energy. Sometimes if we don't eat right or get enough exercise or have other medical conditions, our pancreas can grow kind of weak and tired, so it's not producing enough insulin. This is type 2 diabetes, which is the most common type, and it can often be treated with diet and exercise to keep the pancreas from giving out altogether. But sometimes you have an autoimmune reaction to the parts of your own body. When your disease-fighting cells mistakenly identify something as insulin or the beta cells that create it as a virus or bacteria, and they attack it and destroy it, kind of like an allergy, but it's having this reaction to something within your own body instead of a usually harmless outside thing like peanut butter or dairy. And this is type 1 diabetes. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You can't prevent it. It's a genetic condition inherited from both parents. And like any other recessive trait, it can pop up at any time, even when you don't know of any history of it in your family. When you have these markers and this genetic coding, you are going to get type 1 diabetes, but you don't necessarily know when. It usually strikes before you hit the age of 40, most often under the age of 21, which is why it, was used, it used to be called juvenile diabetes. They used to talk about it hitting suddenly, and it still appears pretty suddenly, but scientists now understand that it's always there. It just needs a trigger to show up visibly. For Rowan, that trigger was probably puberty. It can be growth spurts or stressful situations or viruses. There's been a huge number of uh, new type 1 cases in 2020 because of kids contracting COVID, which triggers the autoimmune response. Regardless, there's currently no way to undo this autoimmune response, but scientists have some really promising research underway to rewrite the faulty genetic code. In the hospital, I kept looking over at Rowan. He was getting better and better looking more like himself and less like a skeleton, thank God. But I had no idea how he was really processing everything. He seemed to just be soaking it all in. And we, of course, told him to let us know as he had questions. But he really only spoke at the time about the immediate things. What he wanted for the next meal, what he wanted to wear, what time the teachers would be coming in, whether he had time for a nap, because he was still really exhausted from it all. With a month's distance between that time and when I was first writing this, I could tell you that he was processing it calmly and filing it all away. He still frequently reminds me of something they taught us in the hospital that I have to look up again. And he also firmly believes that they will solve this thing and come up with a cure in his lifetime. We're trying to both nurture that hope and keep him realistic. They could find the answer. They could find it tomorrow, or next week, or in a decade, or in five decades. I really do think the cure will come in his lifetime, and that's what I'm praying for. As my husband said, I'll take any miracle God wants to give us, but I hope it comes in the form of a medical cure, because then all these kids will be cured. And that's what I want. For every parent, for every child, for every adult who lives with this. If you want to see a kind of detailed description of what the day looks like for a diabetic, um, you're welcome to check out the original blog post that I'll have linked in the comment section. Uh, this is already getting pretty long, so I'm not going to go through it all there. But um, I just wanted to let you know that that is there and that it is something that we deal with every single meal. Basically, anytime Rowan eats, we have to give him a shot. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty involved thing. Um, and uh, the, the scary thing that we learned about was, you know, we go in the hospital because he's, his blood sugar is so high and this can kill him. 
But then there's the other side that it can go too low and it can kill him. Um, so, you know, you're right walking this tightrope the whole time. And you're just terrified that his blood sugars are going to drop. Uh, we've had some lows in the middle of the night that were pretty scary. And if you dip, dip too low, it can result in seizures and unconsciousness and, in extreme cases, coma. And if he goes too high, he could go back into DKA. So you can have the same things there. I think at this point in my life, I have had more nightmares about diabetes than anything in all my years combined. I pray every night, Lord, just keep him safe until morning. And I get up every morning praying, Lord, wake him up. <laughs> if he's sleeping later than usual, I will sneak back the hall and listen for, you know, normal shifting and breathing noises. Because diabetes is changeable and it's tricky and there is no such thing as having it in perfect control. It can change at any time. He can plummet low without warning, especially right now when he's still in what they call the honeymoon stage, when his pancreas can just randomly decide to make some insulin all of a sudden. Um, so eventually we're going to have, hopefully, a, a continuous glucose monitor. They're called something that he wears on his skin at all times to monitor him constantly. But right now we're relying on doing finger sticks and checking his blood sugar uh, with a meter every couple hours. And Rowan has been such a champ. It breaks my heart to watch him as he tries to find a place on his arms or his legs that won't hurt when he gives himself his injection. But he knows it needs to be done, and he does it, and I'm so proud of him. And we're to the point now where not every day is consumed by thoughts of this anymore. Praise God for that, too. We're getting to the point where we need to keep moving toward our other goals, to the point where we know that while everything has changed, nothing has changed. Rowan is still Rowan. We are still us, and our dreams are still our dreams. Our calling is still our calling. Because God knew. Before this hit, when he instilled those big dreams in us, when he set our feet on this path, he knew. He knew this was going to be part of our lives, and he called us anyway. He called you to whatever path he's put your feet on. Despite your diagnosis or the divorce or the pain or the limitation, Despite the hardships and the hurting and the weakness, he knew and he called. He called us in our weaknesses, knowing he could shine strong through them. He called us knowing each earthly loss can be a victory in heaven. He called us knowing that the more we have to rely on him to get through each day, the more we can do for his glory. What's your thing? Your challenge? Your setback? Your despair? For us, it's diabetes. It's our challenge, but it is not our end. It's not Rowan's end, not today. It's just one of the things that'll shape us into who he needs us to be to do the work he calls us to do. One night in November, we had a campfire with my mother-in-law. Rowan had been pretty quiet around anyone else. And at our campfires, he was normally just eager to get back inside. But that night, he and Nana were chasing each other around, and he was looking at the stars and pulling up my Sky Map app to see what they were, and he was laughing and telling jokes and just tormenting me, you know, teasing. And he was also in shorts and a t-shirt, so he did go inside before the rest of us. And my mother-in-law looked over at us and said, he's more himself than he's been in so long. It's so good to see. And it is. It's so good to see Rowan just being Rowan. His mood not dictated by blood sugar as it had probably been for months before he was diagnosed. It's good to see him growing and thriving and dreaming dreams and setting goals. And I know he has a bright future ahead of him. 
This is a disease he will live with every day until they find a cure. There are no vacations from it. But that's okay, because doing the hard things makes us stronger, makes us better. We are just clay in the hands of the potter. Make us and shape us, Lord, into whatever and whoever you need us to be. Check out rosannamwhite.com for information about me or my books and to subscribe to my newsletter. This episode of Wordfall is brought to you by the Tea Party Book Club. Books, tea, great conversation, all from the convenience of your own home. To see what this month's book is and to reserve a seat, go to rosannamwhite.com and click the Tea Party Book Club tab or follow the link in the show notes. Wordfall is a proud part of the White Fire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast for other shows I know you'll love.